find the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Just follow along as I read, please. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I am preaching at least once in Uganda, and maybe more times, and I thought, if I'm preaching one time to someone, what would I want to preach about? So if I get one sermon, what am I going to preach? And uh, I think if I have one sermon, I'm going to preach about the cross. So uh, that's what we're going to do today. You're my guinea pigs again. <laughs> and you're hearing what I'm going to preach in Uganda. And uh, it's interesting as you read through the Bible, there are so many statements that tell you the meaning of the cross or the theology of the cross. And I'm just going to read a few of those statements of theology. They come from uh, the book of Acts or the epistles. But here are just some things that the Apostle Paul says. And some of these were in your passage today. The message of the cross is the power of God to people who are being saved. Theology of the cross. It's the power of God to change your life and to bring you into God's family. Or also from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Christ crucified is the power and the wisdom of God. Or Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And I think Paul's saying you've got to carry around the cross and live out the cross each and every day so that your life is transformed to be like Jesus. Or 2 Corinthians 5, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. Therefore, all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but live for him who died for them and was raised again. Huge verse. That's the meaning of the cross. One died for all of us so that we could live for him. We're also 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the theology of the cross. God made him who had no sin to be sin. Or Romans 4. He was delivered over to death for our sins. That's the meaning of the cross. He died because of your sin. Romans 5. 
God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love of God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or again, Romans 5. Since we have now been justified by his blood, that's the cross, his blood, that's the cross. We have been justified by his blood, made righteous by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, the cross reconciles us to God. We're his enemy, and then through the cross we become his friend. Or Romans chapter 6. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Coming to Christ and putting your faith in him is being put on the cross yourself. You're you're enjoying now all the benefits of him dying on the cross, baptized into his death. Or Romans 6, 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So his death is something you share. I like this one. This is from Romans 14. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Theology of the cross. Why did he die? According to this, he died so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So whether we live, we live for Jesus Christ, And whether we die, we die for Jesus Christ. That's theology of the cross. But what I want to do today is I want to talk about the Gospels' presentation of Jesus. And the Gospels present the death of Jesus without theology. And so you have to listen to the story and think about what it means. It's harder, more rewarding. So I'm going to read from Mark chapter 15 today. If you've got your Bibles, turn there with me. If you have your electronic device, your iPhone, is that what you've got, Brent? Mark chapter 15. For those of you who use your phone, I love, I love using Bible Gateway myself. And you go to BibleGateway.com, and there you have an unbelievable number of translations that you can use. And I like it because sometimes I I might think, well, what's the Greek word that's in there? And they have a Greek New Testament. And sometimes I think, what's the Hebrew word that might be in that verse? And they've got a Hebrew Bible on there. And then they have a Latin translation and a Spanish translation. (laughs) And then they have almost every conceivable English translation. In fact, a new English translation just came out this year and it's already on Bible Gateway. And, and I, I, I shake my head like, why are these publishers giving it away for free? But I love that they are. Um, and uh, anyways, that's what I use. Mark 15, 
And uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Follow along as I read, and uh, I'm going to read for a few minutes, and I just want to stop and talk about it. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for, for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the, pur they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. They forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, 
darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. And uh, draw a number of things to your attention. One of the ways that Mark tells his story is uh, he doesn't focus so much on what Jesus is doing as what everyone else is doing. And so you find out about uh, everyone else on the day that Jesus dies. The religious leaders hate him, and they're envious. So they create false charges to do him in. Pilate, he's kind of indifferent. He wants to pursue justice, but more than anything, he wants to please the crowd. So even though he knows these charges are not correct charges... He lets them go through. There's the fickleness of the crowd. Earlier, early in the week, they had praised him. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A triumphal entry. And they're waving palm branches. And now on this day, Friday, just a few days later, they're shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. How fast the crowd turns. There are the soldiers. And uh, today we would call them soldiers or similar to our police officers. And what they do is they ridicule and mock the person who is the prisoner and make fun of him. And in fact, as they crucify him, they tell you, it tells you in just a, a one quick sentence, they crucified him. And in the next sentence it says, well, they cast lots for his clothes. So it's kind of like we, we put him on the cross and we nail him on the cross. Now let's get down to the important things and figure out who's going to get these clothes. More concerned with what clothes they have than what is happening over their heads. And of course there are people passing by. This is done in a public place. And as the people pass by, they make fun of him as he's hanging on the cross. And of course the religious leaders also poke fun and not to be outdone, the two robbers who are dying beside him, they also make fun of him while he dies in the middle. Mark focuses on all these different reactions because in it he kind of captures humanity. We don't care about Jesus. We don't care about what happens to him. We just don't care. A little bit cruel 
Um, this week, I was reading a book about World War II, and it is called Ordinary Men. And uh, the gist of the book, the gist of the book was uh, he wanted to understand how could ordinary German citizens become mass murderers? And so instead of looking at the SS or the Gestapo or those who were anti-Semitic, he decided he would look at one of the police battalions, the police battalion from Hamburg, and uh, these policemen from everyday walks of life, and uh, look at what, what they did in order to kill Jews. And he said they were just ordinary men. And here's what happened so that ordinary men would become mass murderers. This is from one of those, I'm going to read a few things from, this is a, one of those police reports. And this is from a police squadron who had rounded up Jews, and they put them on a train to take them out and ship them to a concentration camp. And so I just want you to read, this is the report of the officer after, the, after, this, uh, after putting the Jews on the train and dropping them off. He said, at 8.15 on June 17th, the train drove into the work camp next to the Sobibor train station. The camp commandant, First Lieutenant Stangl, took delivery of the 949 Jews. The unloading of the train cars began immediately, was completed by 9.15. That's all he says about that day. It's kind of like we've dropped off our packages and it only took us an hour. He said the trip from Sobibor to Vienna, now this is the return trip, the return trip in the special train began about 10 a.m. Immediately after the completion of the unloading of the Jews, we arrived at 2.30 a.m. on June 18th. No travel expenses were paid for this train. The train continued from Lublin at 8.13 and, uh, we, to Krakow. We arrived at 5.30. In Krakow, we billeted with the 3rd Company of Reserve Police Battalion 74. On June 19th, this company handed out one day's rations to each of the 16 men. From Krakow, the return trip was again continued on a regularly scheduled express train at 8.08. .08. The transport commando stopped over in Krakow. It lasted 26 and a half hours. Crossing of the border between the Reich and the general government uh, took place on June 15th at 1.45. Then this is uh, the provisions. The men of the transport commando were provided with cold rations for four days. This consisted of sausage, bread, marmalade, and butter. It was none, nonetheless not sufficient. In Krakow, the daily ration of the 3rd Company of Res Reserve Battalion 74 was good and sufficient. Now here's his suggestions. What could make this a better trip? In the future, it will be necessary to provide the men of the transport commando with marching rations because the cold rations do not keep in the summer months. The sausage, it was a soft sausage, already opened and cut up when handed out on June 15th, had to be consumed no later than the third day because of the danger of spoiling. On the fourth day, the men had to be satisfied with marmalade because the butter was also already rancid due to the tremendous heat in the train car. The size of the ration was also rather meager. No other incidents occurred on the outward journey. That's how he writes up the trip. Now, it doesn't matter that you have 100 Jews each in a boxcar. 
and, and many of them are dying from the heat. They get no rations, and they get no water. And yet as he writes up his report, he doesn't care about the Jews in the car. He only cares about, we didn't have enough food, it wasn't very good, and boy, it was difficult to carry out the task. Ordinary men become mass murderers because they focus on these little details about their jobs, and they don't even care about their people that they're looking after. And I thought, you know something, that, that's the cross of Jesus. All of these people do these terrible things while the Son of God dies on the cross because it's the human condition. We only care about ourselves. Point number two, if you didn't see it, Mark goes out of his way so that you see Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's the king of the Jews. That's the charge that Pilate asks him about. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, you're the one saying it. Are you the king of the Jews? He knows he's not saying he's the king of the Jews. If Jesus were saying he was the king of the Jews, he would be raising an army. He would be collecting money. He would be, he would be saying, let's get rid of this Roman government. He does none of those things. And then when they beat him, they take him and they hang a little sign around his neck, the king of the Jews. And so they actually call out all of the soldiers, 600 men. Let's all of us come out here. We've got the king of the Jews with us today. And they bring out the king of the Jews and they put the crown of thorns on his head and they give him a little baton and then, and then with the little scepter, they beat him with the scepter and then they put a purple robe on him and then they hit him and they mock him and they hit him and they say, tell us who's hitting you. And they spit on him and they go, king of the Jews. By the way, a little bit of racism in there, right? Romans, Jews are so much less than us. We'll show you how little you are, king of the Jews. And then they hang him on the cross. And then the sign on the cross is the king of the Jews. Three in, 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 in three different languages. And of course the chief priests don't want him dying there as the king of the Jews. That makes the Jews look weak. And so they protest. And Paul, Pilate says, what I've written, I've written. That's going to stay the way it is. And so he dies as the king of the Jews. And again, that little bit of that racism, little bit of dig. Here's what we do to the king of the Jews. We put him on a cross and we kill him. And even while he's on the cross, the passerbys mock him. King of the Jews, why don't you come down from the cross? Save yourself. Now the interesting thing is, is that he is the king of the Jews. <laughs> they, think, they, think, they think it's funny. They think it's a false charge. And, they, and they're mocking him for it. But he is the king of the Jews, and he's doing the best thing for his people that a king has ever done. He is actually saving all his people by dying on the cross. He's the best king you could ever want to have, the king of the Jews. Point number three, the irony of the mockery points out who Jesus is. The irony of the mockery. Verse 29, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross 
and save yourself. And so they're making fun of him, saying, you, you said you could destroy the temple and raise it in three days. That's a huge deal. That's impossible. Why don't you do a little deal, like come down off of the cross and save yourself? Mockery. You can't destroy the temple in three days and raise it. Here's the truth of the matter. The mockery conveys, conveys truth. He is destroying the temple while he dies. So that when he dies, you should never have to take a lamb into the temple again and shed its blood. Because Jesus is the sacrifice. And he is dying on the cross to pay for the sins of the world so that we will never have to sacrifice an animal again. We're made right with God by what he does on the cross. So it's funny, they say, "Come, you know, you said you'd destroy the temple in three days and raise it. He's destroying the temple while he dies so that we could be right with God and our sins could be forgiven. Or I like, I like this one. The chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him, saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Come down from the cross and save yourself. Well, if he came down from the cross, could he have done that? Sure he could have. Now that would have been something to see too. Dying on the cross and then all of a sudden the nails shoot out of his wrists. Right? The wounds close up. And he kind of floats over everybody. Lightning shoots out of his fingers and the soldiers drop dead. Wow, that would be good. I think I would like that. Uh, but if he did that, if he saved himself, he would not save you. If he did what they said and came down from the cross and saved himself so that they said they would believe, there would be nothing to believe. It's because he didn't save himself that we believe and we're saved. He said, come down from the cross in order that we may see and believe. I'm glad he didn't come down from the cross. Finally, point number four. Notice the words that Jesus says on the cross. Verse 34. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus only says two things in this chapter in Mark. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, yeah, you're the one saying it. And this on the cross. And I think this is Mark's way of saying this is important. And another way he shows it's important is he gives you the exact words Jesus says. We hardly ever know the exact words Jesus says. Jesus speaks in Aramaic most of the time. Your Bible is written in what language? Your Bible is written in English. <laughs> your, your English Bible is a translation of what language? In the New Testament, it's Greek. So everything Jesus says in the New Testament, it's written in Greek. That's not what he spoke. He spoke Aramaic. But while he's hanging on the cross, Mark says, I'm going to tell you the exact Aramaic words that he says. Lama, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? And now we see that this perfect Son of God, God has turned away from him and left him alone. Why? He can't look on sin. And he's full of it. Your sin. It's unimaginable how much sin I have in my own life there on Christ. Your sin's there too. And God turns away and he leaves him alone and Jesus Christ is utterly abandoned. And he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember a number of years ago, I was reading something on the internet, and it was this. It was this. Uh, a, it was a young woman, and she was writing about uh, Christianity, how much she didn't like it, and she was saying, "I can't wait to go to hell, because when I go to hell, it's going to be such a party, and we're going to have such a good time. No, I, no, I, no concept and no idea. This is what hell is like. You're seeing it right there." with Jesus Christ, dying on a cross, crying out because he is totally abandoned, he is all alone, and he is suffering. And the weight of sin is on him. That's hell. And he is suffering this separation from God and punishment for sin. And uh, that's what hell is like. It's not a party. It's completely abandoned, all alone, crying out for help, and no help is coming. The beautiful thing is that Jesus Christ suffers that on the cross so that you never have to. So that you never have to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he never will because of what Jesus Christ does. Beautiful the way Mark tells us the story. I had two more stories to read. I'm just going to read one. This is from a book called Eight Women of Faith. And it's written by Pastor Michael Haken. Sometimes he comes to Sarnia and speaks. And uh, if you ever get a chance to hear him, uh, he is quite knowledgeable. He's a professor of historical theology at Southern University in Louisville, Kentucky. And he has been a professor here in Ontario and a uh, graduate from the University of Toronto. Uh, quite, quite, very, very, very good scholar. Anabaptist. Got to like that. Anyways, uh, he writes on these eight women of faith. And one of the women that he writes about is uh, Lady Jane Grey, one of the queens of England. And uh, she was a niece of Henry VIII. And Henry VIII's son, Edward VI, became king. And he was very sickly. And uh, before he died, um, he changed his will so that his cousin, Lady Jane, would become the queen instead of Mary and Elizabeth. And so they read the will said Jane Grey was to be the queen. She became Lady Jane. She was queen for nine days. Uh, Mary raised an army, marched on London, and deposed her, and put her in the Tower of London, and there she was killed by an executioner. This is what happened on the last day of her life. Shortly before 11 o'clock on the morning of February the 12th, 
Sir John, the lieutenant of the Tower of London, came to lead Jane out to the scaffold that had been built against the wall of the central white tower at its northwest corner. At the scaffold, Jane was met by Feckenham, that's the Catholic, uh, uh, Catholic chaplain, along with several other Roman Catholic chaplains. An observer recorded what then took place. She mounted the scaffold stairs. Standing there in that chill February morning, Jane briefly addressed the small crowd gathered and urged them to know that she died a true Christian woman and that I do look to be saved by no other means but only by the mercy of God in the blood of his only son, Jesus Christ. She then knelt, recited the 51st Psalm in English. Feckenham followed it in Latin. After which she told him, God, I beseech him abundantly reward you for your kindness to me. Feckenham was at a complete loss for words and began to weep. Seeing his distress, Jane apparently leaned over, kissed him on the cheek, and for a few moments, the Roman Catholic chaplain and the evangelical queen stood hand in hand. She then gave her gloves to a lady-in-waiting and her prayer book to Sir John. The executioner, the executioner, after he had asked Jane for forgiveness, which she gave, told Jane to stand near the execution block. She knelt fumbling to tie a handkerchief around her eyes. Once blindfolded, she should have been directly in front of the execution block, could have easily laid her neck in the groove on the block. But she had misjudged the distance. Unable to locate the block, she became anxious. Where is it? What shall I do? Where is it? She asked, her voice faltering. No one moved to help her perhaps unwilling to be in a better in her death. Finally, after what must have seemed an eternity, a bystander leaped onto the scaffold, guided her to the block. Her last words were called out in a loud voice, Lord, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And at the end of your life, I hope that those are your words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit because the blood of Jesus Christ has covered my sins. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.